you know, we're not talking about tins of beans. We're talking about people who have, you know, multi-comorbidities. So you can't always use the same pathway because somebody could be quite different. So what you might need could be something very different to James and Brett's needs because of what you've got in your health. I mean, you open your laptop today. If it took 10 minutes to log on, it'd be an inconvenience. If that was a consultant, I had to wait. 10, 15 minutes, that's a patient he's not seen. That's what you've got to think about when it's citizen patient friendly. Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals, by IT professionals, that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 20 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the future of IT in healthcare. And uh, with me to help today is James Seaman, who is Softcat's Account Chief Technologist for Healthcare. James, I asked you to bring along an interesting fact. What is your interesting fact? I've worked and lived in Sierra Leone. Wow. Whereabouts in Sierra Leone? Well, in a couple of different places. I worked for a mining project. Wow. We also have Philippa Winter, who is CIO at Bolton Foundation NHS Trust. Philippa, what is your interesting fact? Okay, so um, originally in my past life, I'm an occupational therapist and I was a clinical specialist in hand injuries. Um, and I was well known because I used to teach splinting and make some really unusual splints. So I was well known as Winter the Splinter. We also have Brett Wormsley, who was CTO uh, also at Bolton Foundation NHS Trust. Brett, what is your interesting fact? Spare time, I do sugarcraft cakes. Wow. Explain to me what a sugarcraft cake is. Think more cake boss and less bake-off. Wow, so yeah. they're more like models. So I spend days and weeks creating these things. For example, I did a wedding cake for a friend. It was half a 70 wedding cake and half Lego Batman. Wow. What was your uh, most impressive creation, Brett? Probably that one, because I got to play with LEDs as well. Today we're going to be talking about the future of IT and healthcare. So let's start off by just doing a brief history lesson of the NHS and maybe just a bit of explanation about how the NHS is structured, where the funding comes from, that kind of thing. James? Yep. Um, so the NHS is recently just over 70 years old. So it was July 1948 and I and Bevan started the NHS and the first NHS site in 1948 was actually in Manchester. And it's it's grown to something that I'm immensely proud of. Um, and obviously England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, care is free at the point of delivery. It is the biggest employer in the United Kingdom and probably the biggest asset to, to, to living in the United Kingdom is that is that you were guaranteed healthcare. Can you talk a bit about where technology first uh, appeared in the NHS and, and maybe a, just a brief explanation about where it is today? Technology inception in the NHS was obviously clinically led. So labs, imaging, x-ray, radiology had a massive impact in innovation for IT and drove the first core requirements for IT services. Uh, and then as the consumer type of IT, so your, your, your desk-based services matured, there was innovation and opportunity identified to, to help add a further efficiency. So if you think of a GP sitting and talking to you and writing notes in a pad, to actually being able to access your, your clinical record, obviously desktop-based services and applications. And then we find ourselves in a position today where you can get pathology results back in a matter of hours. And Philippa, can you just explain the structure of the NHS? Okay, yeah, so uh, fundamentally we are governed by the government and that in itself comes from NHS England uh, as the main national uh, body that provides us with funding uh, and obviously directives and policies. That then breaks down to more of a digital 
uh, department, which is NHS Digital. And then from that point of view, you might have heard of Monitor when we all went into turnaround in 2012. It is now called NHSI, which is NHS Improvement. Um, so that's around how we manage our cost improvement programmes, how we can use lean methodology and technology to change our workforce. So that's the sort of government direction and policy. We've got a new uh, health minister in Matt Hancock, uh, who's very, very technology driven and has got his own advisory board. So then you think more regionally, we have STPs, sustainability and transformation plan used to be partnership. Um, and then you've got your locality and the CCG clinical commissioning group. Um, and they are actually um, within this government, probably going to change under the local care organisations and local care partnerships where we bring health and social care together and there will be a commissioning arm which will be inclusive of local authority and then a provider arm. So very um, rather complicated, the uh, the structure. How have you looked at it? So we talk about primary care. So for people out there, primary care is really your GP practices and the services that are wrapped around there. We've got secondary care which is really your acute hospitals and your provision within hospitals and services, maybe outpatients that are linked to that. And then you've got your tertiary care, which are your super centres that provide specialist services like heart surgery um, or specialist children uh, hospitals. Um, so you've got the different levels in that way, but also a trust, as we talk about trusts, they can be made up of many different ways. So Bolton, we are an acute and a community trust. And if you link that to the... Uh, local care organisation we want to reduce the footprint of the hospital we want to treat more people out in the community we want to prevent ill health so that only really the people in hospital need to be there because they're really sick Um, but it's also around that prevention model but also that monitoring so if we've got more staff and services around the primary care that we can prevent people coming into hospital that is the absolute key. So how is the Bolton Foundation NHS Trust funded where does that money come from? So basically you've got the government which gives out the funding and we get funding in many different ways so there's obviously your standard funding which just keeps the light on and does your business as usual uh, and that can get gets devolved to Greater Manchester and that then goes to the CCGs so the CCG in Bolton then provides and um, commissions services from the trust uh, to provide all those different services and there's a cost for that um, but on top of that there is other ways that we can source funding through NHSI uh, through different digital bids whether that's through Greater Manchester or that's na- national or technical bids or other bids that are linking to health population health uh, and other initiatives uh, out there from NHS England so there is other funding sources but the business as usual money comes via and directed through this clinical commissioning groups. The rest of the money is where that competitive edge comes in you need to bid for that money the agenda is set centrally so population health or um, local healthcare record exemplar programs things like that so there's a lot of talk around lycra bids and things like that they are competitive they're regional regionally competitive so each region has to put a case together to release that funding but where i think people don't realize in in the public sector now that things are changing is that there are tenders put out there and you can win and you can lose and that makes a difference to your overall income so although we don't make a profit you know we do have to win awards because that's what again keeps us and keeps the lights on um so it's really important that we still have that competitive nature that we do have to go out there and look so 
locally for us we are looking at a certain tender um and you've got to do that bidding for that and whether you win or not and if not then that's a massive impact on your workforce and your income stream what what are some of the challenges that you come up against with i guess that kind of structure the challenges really um are around those silos doesn't matter whether you're regional national or local um, and that everybody's got slightly different agenda so i think what's really key is to really drive that partnership working so in the locality but it's also about how big is that elephant and how much can you eat of it um so in a locality sometimes that's easier to manage because you're working in a smaller area you can drive that change and that transformation because at the end of the day it's workforce transformation um and that's how that will bring us the benefits and that technology will be the facilitator of that it's demographic led as well so the nhs in the past has tried doing national in- initiatives uh, national systems national it transformation having a more demographic focus a regional focus and having the regional stps and and, and focusing the, the 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 local areas to work together and the the areas of care and, and social care um it's more effective and it's also more achievable every touch point across the public sector not just in nhs is valuable why doesn't the nhs just have centralized it what's what's the what's the reason behind that there is no single answer to that. It's tried. Um, so a lot of people who have worked in healthcare have heard of things like the National Programme for IT. The idea there was to to create a small number, not one, but a small number of systems and services for the NHS. There's a lot of complexities in the NHS. Um, you've got all the different areas of care we've just discussed. It's a huge organisation. So you've got people, process, governance. You've got sovereignty. Each NHS organisation has sovereignty over their services, their staff, their, their organisation as, as any business would, although they're not a profit-making business. So there's lots and lots of complexities. Also, depending on funding, so in the new, in the new scenario we find ourselves in, people will, will tender for opportunities to provide services to mental health. So you may find, for example, with Bolton, Bolton are working alongside a CCG to deliver services, IT services for that CCG. So there's an element of competition as well. Also, it, it comes back to that analogy of eating the elephant. When you try and do something of that scale, it's it's a bigger meal to eat. It's more difficult. So allowing the organisations to have that level of sovereignty and being able to to, to go out and, and source services and deliver services in a way that's meaningful and effective and appropriate for that organisation really is the only way that you can do it. But yes, your point is valid. You, you're from the South. If you fall ill whilst you're up in Manchester today, there's an element of, well, I need to be treated and I want the clinicians to know about my healthcare record. So obviously integration is key and there are a massive amount of initiatives around integrating care and care records and the information but the organizations and and the key word is they are sovereign organizations they're independent organizations but i think what's really key now is in this different era now is that we've got to really challenge our suppliers on being open and and offering that interoperability uh, and really drive that and obviously that is a national agenda but it's not easy because obviously they're proprietary and they've got competitive and commercial things that they need to um you know stand up by but that's the only way forward is that so if you are here and you fall ill is that we really challenge our suppliers to make that information open and that we can interoperate that and integrate that into our systems i'm I'm guessing from some of the conversations we've just had is that it's there isn't one big central database why isn't there one big central database how does data work in the nhs yeah that's a big question isn't it like you said it's been tried there isn't the flexibility um, each locale has their own difficulties and their own nuances. You know, in Greater Manchester, there's so many 
hospitals with their own specialities, their own pathways, their own way of working, their own staff. There's not the flexibility to have one central system. They tried that. It didn't quite work out as it, as it should have done. And why is that? Because it doesn't offer that flexibility personally. You're sort of picking one system for everybody. One size does not fit all. Clinical pathways are different. You can go from here now to the Philippa and Brett's hospital um, and be treated for a condition, but the clinical pathway, the, 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 the way in which you are received, treated and care is delivered and, and medicine prescribed can be different for the same condition and another NHS trust. Right, so okay. a clinician will work differently yeah. and, and that's clinician-led. You know, we're not talking about tins of beans. Uh, we're talking about people who have, you know, multi um, comorbidities. So you can't always use the same pathway because somebody could be quite different. Yeah. So what you might need could be something very different to James and Brett's needs because of what you've got in your health. We've kind of set the scene for the, the wider NHS. Can we talk a bit about the Bolton Foundation NHS Trust? Is the IT in Bolton different to other trusts? Yes. I, I as, as, as head of IT in the CTO, I have a lot of freedom uh, to act and... That allows me to be more creative, I think. It, it actually comes from, from a historic lack of funding. So we had to be creative with what we, what we got. So the, you know, if we could afford the, the best and the Rolls-Royce of all the systems, we probably would have done it. But we didn't, so we had to think outside the box. And that thinking has just continued as, as we've grown. And it's allowed us to do some very creative uh, things. For example, we've been dealing with virtual technology and virtual desktops in particular since 2012 which some see the last few years as quite new, which is quite old hat. So we've got quite good at that, um, which has set us apart. One of the very few, if only one of two trusts in the entire country that actually use the entire infrastructure as virtual desktops. This was born out of um, talking to clinicians rather than, I say this in some of the talks that, that I do with Philippa, is that generally if you give IT people the ability to go and buy what they want, they're going to buy the fastest thing mm-hmm. they can get, what they think is cool or the best for the money you've given them and then give it to them going, look, it's, it's really cool, that. it's fast and it's really good. That might not necessarily be what they want. So we sort of, with, with people like Philip, I'd flip that around as a clinician saying, well, what, what, what do you want? What, as it, what actually do you want as a clinician and as a, as a nurse and a doctor? What is it that you want it to do? And it's surprisingly not the same. Yeah. It's an overlap. You know, they want it quick, et cetera, but it's not what you want. You know, you want it safe and secure and locked down within a vintage of its life. And, but that's not what they want. They want it. And the, the desktop technology that we have has allowed this the, the ability to move around the hospital without waiting for machines to log on without having to put passwords in. They can use RFID like a bank card to, to log on to the machines anywhere across the Bolton community, not just the hospital, but in communities and health centres, and just continue when they get home exactly where they left off. So it's a, yeah. big, it's a big difference. It's patient-centric. I think that, that's the key point. And I coined the phrase magpie purchases. I've been a manager in <laughs> IT and you buy the shiny. You, 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 that's that's really good technology. I want one of those. Um, I think the change that we're seeing across the NHS, to be fair to, to other organisations out there, but specifically using that example of Bolton's VDI, is it's patient centric. So there are services that are being deployed in that sphere that, uh, and, and on Brett's platform that allow clinicians to to interact directly with the patient in a patient in, within the patient context, so it knows what bed you're at. Um, it knows what patient record you want to show. If you want to go through the, the observations for that patient, they're visible to the patient and the clinician at the same time. And, and taking that, that outcome, that patient outcome approach to delivering technology, VDI is not unique, full stop, not, certainly not in the public sector, but the way it's architected and delivered and the outcome to the, to the clinician, to the patient and to the overall service, that is. That's certainly my approach. 
to our public sector customers um, to, to, to look at the patient, the citizen, as Philip has said, the citizen outcome. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily think that with something as, forgive the term, Brett, mundane as desktop. But actually, every facet of service needs to be patient-centric and patient-focused. I think what changed in this country was the review done by Bob Watcher. Um, and he's done a really great book, which is an easy read if people want to read. It's called The Digital Doctor. But what he did is a d- he did a review for NHS England and it was making uh, IT work harnessing the power of health informatics and technology to improve care in England. And that was around interoperability, user-centred design, clinicians at the front of everything. Um, because at the end of the day, like you say, it's not about shiny kit, it's about what is it... What's it going to do to you to make that healthcare better for that patient or for that user, which is the staff? So they're absolutely key. And that's one thing I think we do really well at Bolton is we've got that real synergy between our workforce and technologists um, to really drive what's right. And appropriate. I think that's my favourite word as well, because I know you guys have done it out of necessity with, with your budgets. But I think something else that's sometimes missed by pure play technologists it's around what's appropriate for the task at hand. So if it meets the clinical need, the most appropriate solution is the one that meets that need, meets the patient or the, the clinician or what, the business outcome at, at, the, at an efficient price point. And I think what's really good with Brett, which I'll let, let him explain, but it's about sweating that asset, isn't it? And it's not sweating it for eight years. It's about absolutely using every piece of that technology. And I'm sure you can go in more about that, Brett. Yeah, I like to get my money's worth. Um, so when we design something, it's meant to be scalable and used. We sort of build the relationship and partners with with uh, people like Softcar and other people we work with to make change, make it NHS centric because we fight against the big, the big sort of um, private sector about what we want. And our technology is really important to us. It's it can make a difference between patients. Um, so I like to get my money's worth. And how do you do that? So we find flaws, we find improvements, and rather than sort of, uh, or, um, yeah, I would say improvements and, or, and features, and we sit down with them and say, it would be better if you added this, 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 and this into your system. And then if you did this, other organisations, particularly trusts, would use it and find it useful. So we, yeah. give, we give that development back to them. So we develop it ourselves and say, here, you can have that for free, just give it to the rest of the people who have this software. Yeah. And just keep, keep going and going and going and going. You mentioned the design as well, Brett, and I think we were talk- We were having a conversation actually earlier today around banking sectors and, and organisations that have these risk registers that say when our systems are down, it costs us X amount of millions of pounds per transaction per hour if, if we can't af- effectively use our IT system. So banks and stock markets and and, and large-scale commodity organisations will, will, will understand how effective um, IT is and how much it can hurt their business when it's not available. Healthcare, it's people, it's not beans, as, as Philip has said, so... A GP can't see you if their GP practice system isn't isn't live. So from a commissioning perspective, uh, the, the, the GPs who sit within the CTGs, they are beholden to IT. There's very little they can do if they can't access your patient record. In an acute space, IT drives MRI scanners. IT drives pathology systems. IT drives systems that, are, uh, that, that they rely on for results and prescribing. There are elements of AI in things like electronic observations to, to tell that you're deteriorating. So a nurse can input something every 15 minutes. They don't need to know the impact of the, the, the information they're putting in the system, but the system can say your temperature's dropping or your blood pressure's rising or, and can alert someone to that. So there's, the design is key. So to be able to 
deploy something and transition isn't about buying something that's shiny and buying the best. It's about understanding the impact of change as well. So when, when and, and Brett, again, not wanting to, to big Brett up too much, but um, architecting systems like a desktop service allows you to transform, release new features, upgrade, patch, reboot, fix, without impacting the, the acute hospital services is also key. Um, and that's not just about BAU, um, business as usual, everyday stuff. It's around planning for the unknown in five years, what am I going to do when my server's expired? What am I going to do when that license expires? What am I going to do when that product's no longer viable? Um, the design is key. Uh, and I think Brett needs to take sort of accolades and there's other colleagues in the NHS that do the same um, around that design element because it's not about losing money if the system goes offline. You can't treat people. And and I think sometimes that's forgotten. It is, but it's also about safety. So I think one of the things I don't know if you're happy to discuss is about the piece of work that you did recently around the tap on the mobile device because that's absolutely key. There's a piece of work that Brett did um, so if you think about governance and about putting somebody's observations into a mobile device, which is great because it, you know, you've not got the human error of adding something up wrong. Um, so it's really safe from that point of view. But also, if you pass a mobile device to the next nurse and you've not logged off, then it looks like that that nurse obviously is putting that observations in. And it's really key we know who's putting those observations in for health and safety uh, and for quality reasons. What's the technology? Can you talk about it? Yeah, it happens a lot in the NHS and IT where, you know, there's, there's, there's a, some can be a separation between wanting the clinical system and then actually making it work with the technology that you've got. So the, the, the system may do all the jobs and it, it's absolutely brilliant, but how you deliver it makes it a success or not because you don't want technology to be a barrier. You don't want technology to sort of, suddenly they just scribble on a piece of paper what the jobs were. No, you, you're giving them something to walk around with, to charge, to to log on to, it takes more time. And believe me, I've, I've been told many times, a few minutes for a clinician's time is absolutely valuable. So I didn't want that. So this, this system came along and sort of said, oh, we need 500, I think it was, 500 devices, please. So my job is to say, for what? What do you want 500? Well, we're just going to put, yeah, it's a web page. It's okay, it's a web page. We'll just put your jobs in. Well, how are they going to log on? Well, they'll just log on. But you can imagine sort of getting your iPad every day or, tablet or android and having to open it up log on to it with a big password then step it's just going to turn people away it's going to be become a barrier and i didn't want that so i I sort of got in contact with one of our suppliers that use the tab technology and sort of says i don't suppose you've got anything that works with an android the answer was not really we've looked at it so we sort of a long story short with a conversation brought the programmers in from around europe sat down for a week for a few days and sort of develop the system that would use the tap from the use on from the desktop onto a mobile device. So you just tap on the back like you would a bank card, login is done. Wow. So the, then if you can pass it awesome. to someone, then it switches to the next user. They can pass it to somebody else and it takes a few seconds and there you go. So they take that away. When we, the best thing I ever got was when we actually deployed this to, to the first ward and said to the nurses you know, and the, the, the consultants, here you go, use this. Sort of tapped on the back and went, yeah, that's fine. I thought, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take yeah. that. It's that's like being a goalkeeper, isn't it? Yeah. You, you kind of just, you kind of don't want to say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, great. Yeah, wicked. Okay. That's yeah. Good. <laughs> no uh, news is good news. And that's what my boss says. If it's no news, you're doing a great job. Yeah. That's I suppose good. that's where technology. I, this is the love, the love, the part in NHS and the colleagues working IT is that you really can um, make a difference to to, uh, to 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 patient care, yeah. even though you're in IT. 
it's it's got to be unique in the world, doesn't it? When to get you a better money, if you you can get see if your technology means that someone has to wait for ten minutes to log on your machine. I mean, you open your laptop today. If it took ten minutes to log on, it'd be an inconvenience. If that was a consultant, I had to wait. 10, 15 minutes, that's a patient he's not seen. And that's what you've got to think about when it's citizen patient friendly. Yeah. Part of the technology you probably don't think of in hospitals is entertainment. You know, you were obliged under the patient charter to provide entertainment. Really? Yeah. Yes. So a bit like in-flight entertainment. Um, yeah, you're not, you don't get sort of, you know, waitress service and, uh, and, and Sky box office. You've got um, to offer TV. Do you really? You do, yeah. It's part of your, I wouldn't say it's legal, but it's about as close as it gets. We got funding from NHS Digital. It's part of this five-year forward that they provided, the government centrally provided funding to give patient Wi-Fi. It's called NHS Wi-Fi. You'll see it on your GP. You'll see it in every hospital. And so we got we got money for that. And I don't like tick box exercises, which I think infuriates lots of people, including Philip. So I don't like to go, yes, sir, and we've done Wi-Fi tick. That's done. Move on to the next thing. I was thinking, what else can we do with this money? What else can we do with this technology? So I started looking at something that frustrates me is the patient entertainment system. Currently, it was a national program and a one contract that started about 15 years ago. If you ever go to uh, hospitals, most of them you'll find these huge arms that come across the bed. And it's old, it's outdated, and it needs to needs to move on. But the problem with that is funding it because it kind of funds itself so that the trust don't really get involved in it. So we decided that we would look at that and what we could do with that. So I started work with a company that provides the Wi-Fi um, for the majority of hospitals about creating a new modern patient entertainment system, something for the 21st century. And what we found is that if you go into hospital, you find that most people have their own devices. They'll have a, an iPad or a tablet or a, a laptop. So do you really need all these arms? Do you need to provide all this kind of technology if someone's got their own? So we wanted something that you could bring your own device and, uh, and, and watch TV on it, watch your Netflix, you know, in, in bed watching Amazon or Game of Thrones or whatever it is you want to do. So we used that technology, the Wi-Fi, to provide this uh, proof of concept for a streaming service that was free. But then we took that free service and then hooked it up into a telephony system, which provided free phone calls. So it's about sort of taking what was just a Wi-Fi project and suddenly now we've got a project for people who can watch, can watch streaming media, which is the modern way to watch TV. Then we've even took that farther. Now we've made these bedside um, screens can actually um, use our desktop technology. So not only you could be watching Netflix and the consultant come along the back with the smart card, tap on the back and use the EOP system, tap back off and go back to DMs of Thrones. All from just taking Wi-Fi money and just taking it to the nth degree. And it's something that I'm really sort of excited about at Bolton. That, that can be picked up and blueprinted and then used anywhere that wants to use this technology. It's been designed so that you could just provide that as a service. So the patient shouldn't have to pay for that. They, they shouldn't be in there worrying about a telephone bill to connect with a loved one. I mean, the, this tablets that we have, they have Skype on it. So you can have a telephone conversation. We've talked a lot about how Bolton Foundation NHS Trust has taken advantage from lots of technologies and lots of developments. Can we talk a bit about how other NHS trusts can take advantage? Are there things in place now where um, you can share ideas, you can share concepts? In the north, we've got a really strong network with the Informatics Skills and Development Network, which is Liverpool, Cheshire, um, Greater Manchester and up into Cumbria and Lancashire so there's an absolute want there to share that best practice and learning because why again in public services money are we you know all 
doing the same things wrong you know we need to be sharing what's right and what lessons we've learned and what was hard and fail and fail fast and tell others how we've done that um so that's absolutely key but also i'm part of the digital academy which i think is another thing so brett um has supported some of my peers on the digital academy so that's come from nhs england around um informatics leaders and again how we share practice how we network and how we do that across the whole of the country really and Brett through that has helped other people down south and it's really about understanding what's out there and that blueprinting. So what about outside of healthcare do you collaborate with other organisations something do you do you learn from other organisations? Um, yeah actually um, this year I've met with several big companies in Manchester that came to uh, discuss security technologies one of sort of one of my sort of past lives um is security based so i you know quite i think i'm quite infamous infamous in my organization for saying no what did you want <laughs> um they got very security conscious every now and again i'll contract just to see what the the other side's doing to see if there's anything that i'm missing because um, you it is a, you're probably gathering um it's a, it's a different beast people are maybe listening thinking why haven't they got one system you know you won't get tesco having every single branch having having a different system and then trying to talk it seems a bit odd doesn't it so i like to see what what's out there and so we do yeah we do talk to other other people they have the same problems they just don't have the same impact i don't think do you think there's an organization you know that's not in the public sector that's of a similar scale or similar complexity to the nhs can you think of one i'm, I'm not so sure we were talking about financial institutions on the impact that can be measured you know the stock market and you know seconds matter for billions can be wiped off but i can't at that scale I, I struggle to think of the uniqueness of the nhs so what does the future look like for technology in the NHS? We're on the verge of a, an NHS app being released through NHS Digital for, for patients and their ability to access their own information. It's driving a much more connected health space. And what I mean by that is connected from a, from a patient, from a citizen perspective. So in the same way that I can sit at home on a Sunday in my underwear on my sofa and book a holiday on my phone, I'll soon be able to have a, a similar experience if the data is readily available to be able to access my care record and, and any appointments that I've got booked or contact a, a GP. We're verging on a much more interconnected healthcare space. Uh, there's some national initiatives around, as I said, the open standards, um, which gives ability for more effective delivery of care services from an IT perspective. What I mean by that is removing the stranglehold from the independent software vendors, the blue chips that are delivering these end-to-end systems that are very expensive, very costly to deliver. Um, open standards will allow SMEs and disruptors to come into that market as well. So it's quite an exciting time. Um, and and it's, it hangs around the, the user-centered design, the citizen focus, how it's going to be used, what it's going to be used for. So the, this app and, and user-centered design, like why, why are they doing it? Like what's the benefit to the NHS? Or is it has it come from... a has it come from the government down it has but at the end of the day it's about empowering the citizen to be able to take control like james said we can all do our banking we can all book we can do everything apart from manage our health care which is absolutely the same for us all um, but if you look at Matt Hancock, who's our obviously health minister and about what he wants to invest, he's said 20 billion long term plan to improve health and care. Now, that's not just all about technology. That's more about how we change and how we evolve. And if you look at that, it's about the culture, because at the end of the day, if we've got a problem, it will still be a problem if the people don't adopt that. So the only way to change that is by doing that user centred design, which is absolutely key.
At the end of the day, the, the data is the citizens' data. Why are we proprietary with other people's data? Because that's not right. So I think the future's bright. I think there is money there that will be invested into that. But we've also got to win the hearts and minds of uh, our users. And to do that is by the core design and the user design. That's the only way forward. So can we um, can we look a bit further forward? Can we maybe look 10, 15, 20 years ahead? How do you see the NHS and uh, the wider technology the NHS has? How does that look to um, maybe to someone like me who has, you know, the only the only um, interaction that I would have with the NHS is when something goes wrong? How does that look to me and maybe how does that look to a healthcare professional? There's two ways to look at this. Um, the, there's the, the pure play clinical stuff. So if you look where we are now with proton beam therapy and where that's come from and how quickly that's been developed for treating serious cancer and, and, and curing something that, or not curing, sorry, but treating something that was potentially untreatable. Um, look at what's happening in the gene, uh, genomic space uh, around mapping the, the genomes and, and, and understanding how we can potentially, in inverted commas, attack or, or, or deal with something in the human body that's not supposed to be there. Um, there's massive clinical steps that are being taken um, that are way above my pay grade and knowledge, um, as you can probably tell by the way I'm describing them. Um, so, but I think the clinical space is really exciting. But then, actually, if you just if you if you map the the, the marking technology change for consumers, so I'm looking at the devices that we've got in the room. We've got really really expensive smartphones and laptops, and and we're recording on on technology now. Um, if if the NHS and the public sector could just keep pace with what's happening in the consumer market around devices and IoT and biometrics and the ability to measure, well, we we tried to do that um, to cut over here, but we, we we were looking at um, as much as a year or two years ago, we were looking at um, patches that you would put on, and they were wireless. They would send the eobs directly to wireless access points and directly into your patient record, so you didn't even need a device, but they they were just too expensive. So it's not pie in the sky or, or, or Star Trek or Elysium. Um, it's it is available, but it's not as, as everything else. It'll get cheaper, and the more it gets cheaper, we should be jumping on that or even innovating with it. Because I would love to do eobs with these disposable patches. So do you think do you think disposable patches and, and things like that things that even it's just they will absolutely be something you swallow something you put under yeah, the skin? Yeah, I think they, they you are know, testing services like that now. So just ten fifteen years, why not? Yeah, I think you know with AI and robots, I think we're in for a different. Uh, world totally but as a clinician you can never take away that human um, and I think um, it's key to say that that you will always want the softer side you will always need mm. that because there's always the nuances because we aren't dealing again like I say with the tin of beans uh, we're dealing with humans here but I think it's the synergy between the two and about how we can have a digital workforce that absolutely supports the growing need because at the end of the day, we're outstripped from that need. Uh, there isn't the money, so we have to do something really clever and intelligent. So actually having a digital workforce using robots, using chatbots, using AI will absolutely help that clinical workforce work differently and to transform. So James, can you provide a bit of a summary? Yep. We've sort of covered the, the history of the NHS, where it's come from, its structure, right through to, to, to what the future looks like and the pain points and, and the elements in between. Um, and I think we've had a really good view from, from Bolton and, and the challenges that Bolton have faced, how they've overcome those and, and what the opportunities are moving forward. The things that excite me um, around, if you look at where the, the NHS has come from um, and, and how it's improved and continue to improve and, and become more self-aware, so we are aware that innovation needs to happen. Uh, has, has meant that we can be more proactive 
I hope that's resonated through, through the conversation in that this is not about aren't things bad or look how good we are. It's about actually an organisation that, that I'm proud of, the NHS, becoming that a self-aware entity to know that it needs to innovate and areas to focus on. And and I think it's interesting and hopefully interesting for people to hear what, what's been achieved at Bolton and what those opportunities are. It's not about the tech necessarily the technology or vendor that Bolton have selected. It's it's more about the function and the outcome for the patient, that user center, patient centered design um, of service. Right through to what the what the future holds. So some of the things that are being done nationally. And and from my perspective and my role from Softcat is to to, to have those conversations with customers, to, to challenge the the more commodity focused. I've got some money, I want to buy some desktop PCs. I've got some money, I want to buy an application. To actually say, well, I talk about the holy trinity in the public sector around the the, the, the citizen, patient, student, whichever area of the, the public sector it is, in this case, patient, the, the staff, the stakeholder, the person delivering the care, and then the organisation. And the organisation's twofold. It's the trust, in this case, Bolton, um, but also the government and and. If it's obviously if it's Wales and Scotland, it's slightly different, but the, the actual national body. If you're making a change in investment, it needs to impact all three or at least one of them. Otherwise, why do it? It, it? Don't buy desktop PCs because there's money to buy desktop PCs unless you can have a measurable outcome to one or if not all of those those three areas. Um, and and my role, if you like, at Softcat is to work with customers like Bolton who understand that and understand the the history understand the current position, but also understand what that opportunity is and have that citizen, that patient, that user-focused um, approach and outcome. I was quite excited about doing this podcast and getting the guys in from Bolton because I think it's really interesting for me and for hopefully for other people to listen to what the challenges are in the NHS, what the supply chain, Softcat included, are trying to do to to, to help uh, and facilitate that change um, and, and what the opportunity is, because at the end of the day, we might work for Softcat, we might work for an ISV, we might work for someone who's delivering services, product, uh, people, whatever that might be into the NHS, we might work for the NHS, but it's our NHS. So actually, just because I'm supplying something to the NHS, I still use it, and I'm still proud to use it. So we need to do it in the most effective way. Well, James, Philippa, Brett, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting hearing about your experiences and just hearing a little bit more about uh, the NHS. Um, so thank you so much for coming in. Listeners, um, if anything this show has piqued your interest or if you'd like to speak to someone at Softcat about anything we talked about in this episode, um, we'll be putting some contact details in the show, uh, in the show notes. Plus also we'll, we'll add to the show notes uh, some information about some of the stuff that we talked about today as well. Please also make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So you've been listening to Explain It From Softcat. Thanks for listening and goodbye.